Welcome back to Fireside, a podcast from FS Investments. This is Bernadette Bridey, Head of Marketing here at FS Investments. Today on Fireside, we're featuring a conversation with FS Investments CEO, Michael Foreman, and KKR's Sam Peterzak. Dan is co-president and chief investment officer of FS KKR Capital Corp, as well as a partner at KKR and the co-head of private credit. Dan and Michael will be discussing the recent merger of FSK and FSKR, as well as market trends in the BDC space. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Michael and Dan, thanks so much for joining us today, and welcome to Fireside. Thank you. Thank you, Bernard. Michael, we're going to start with you. Um, for those of us who are not familiar with the BDC industry, can you just provide a little bit of background on BDCs and the role they play in financing markets? Sure. Um, BDCs are a creature of, of statute. Um, they were created by Congress back in the 1980s uh, to foster the flow of capital to small and mid-sized businesses. Um, and it was a fairly sleepy industry for a long time. Um, in 2009, we launched the first non-traded BDC um, and really started uh, a, a, a generation of new BDCs, new non-traded BDCs. Um, and today, it's an asset class that probably has over $100 billion of assets under management. Uh, we're one of the largest players in the marketplace. Uh, we have a wonderful partnership with KKR, um, and we invest in credit. We invest in private credit. We provide loans to middle market businesses um, to help them grow, to help them provide jobs, to help them uh, satisfy their needs for capital. Um, and it's a space that continues to grow uh, and continues to be important in the formation of capital in the markets. And you talked a little bit, you mentioned that the partnership with KKR. Can you describe that a little bit further when it started? You know, sure. Just anything on that one? Sure. We originally launched with a partnership with Blackstone. Um, so we launched our first uh, BDC, then known as FSIC. Uh, the BDC franchise is now known as FSKKR, trading under the symbol FSK on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we entered our partnership with KKR and exited the partnership with Blackstone uh, in 2018. Uh, so we've been doing this together for a little bit over three years. Um, and it's just been a terrific partnership with the KKR folks. Yeah. And maybe, Bernadette, just to even add one additional point to what Michael said there. I mean, you know, the, the, the partnership has formally been, you know, three plus years, but, you know, we've had a lot of conversations, obviously, in advance of that, a lot of conversations for it starting. So it's probably, you know, almost approaching that four-year mark. Uh, it's been a really good partnership on both sides. I think we're two firms with very good cultures, you know, bringing very complementary skills uh, to bear. Um, and we've just, we've been fortunate that we've done a lot over this time. Yeah. And let me just uh, pull that thread a little bit on the, on the partnership and the culture. I think really what binds us together is our view on our investors and an unyielding commitment to putting our investors' interests first. Uh, so we think a lot less about how large we are or how much money we're going to raise or what our assets under management are, but rather the kind of performance we're delivering to our investors. That's great. Uh, Dan, I know that many members of our audience are familiar with KKR, um, but can you just describe, I know that you alluded to the culture, um, can you describe a little bit about the credit arm um, at KKR and what that entails? No, ha happy to do that. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, KKR sort of 40 plus years 
uh, in the investing business, you know, really known out of the gate as a private equity firm. Uh, but when you do take a step back, and we've been in the credit business since 2004, <clears throat> you know, that credit business has has grown, um, you know, to be you know north of 150 billion dollars of AUM. Uh, inside that is is 58 billion dollars of AUM, which is our private credit business, which you know the BDC is 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 you know a very important part of of that franchise. Because I think that AUM in credit we think is important, not to Michael's point, it's not about just because we like to manage sort of capital. I think credit has evolved into a place where size and scale matter. Uh, we want to have capital to control deals. Um, yeah, but it's also having scale on the human capital side, right? We've spent a great amount of time over the last half decade, you know, what I call institutionalizing our business. You know, building out the origination footprint, building out the structuring and execution, uh, you know, hiring as far as, you know, almost desk lawyers on the team to deal with the structuring of transactions, you know, having, um, you know, portfolio management, even sort of work out people available in case sort of something does go wrong, you know, really bringing this to a, a, an absolute sort of best in class uh, lending operation and, and thinking about that, how do we institutionalize this to make this better, to perform sort of best for our investors. So, you know, while the well, KKR is known as that private equity firm. In some ways, probably still known for that today. 150 billion plus of credit assets, almost 60 billion of private credit assets. You're really one of the largest players in the space today. Yeah, and, and an observation on the private uh, equity background. Um, so, so credit has continued to evolve, um, and uh, lenders are providing a little bit more guidance to the portfolio companies, sometimes taking equity. And those deep roots in private equity have been really, really helpful. So if we hit a road bump, we've got a great firm that has lots of experience in the private equity space that can help that company manage through that road bump. Um, if we take a piece of equity in that company, KCARE understands how to monetize that equity. So we look at that as being a real value add in part and with probably uh, the, the, the you know, leading brand and leading manager in the large buyout space. Sorry, Dan. Go I was going to say, I think Michael's point's a good one because the, you know, I, I think that, I think that gives us, you know, definitely sort of an edge. But in our mind, even, even, you know, with obviously dedicated people waking up every day, you know, the culture of this firm is one where we use the resources of the whole firm to kind of succeed and generate these outcomes. We're trying to find that edge, and and we think that's important. And and the nature of this firm. And the, the culture that Henry and George have built over the last 40 plus years really allows us to do that. So I was going to ask um, both of you, you know, it very much seems like a partnership when both of you speak. Uh, have you ever disagreed over something? Um, uh, first of all, I would say it's been a terrific partnerships and, and partnerships can be complicated. At, at FS, we're really in the partnership business and, and understand partnerships and, and uh, we couldn't be happier for um, the the partner we've chosen here and the way the group is working. Um, there is no question that from time to time we'll have differences of views. Um, and certainly in the crisis, 
you had lots of important issues that needed to be made. Um, and then we had a lot of important decisions to make as we looked to merge, as Dan said, six non-traded BDCs into one publicly traded BDC. And you know, there's lots of different views and lots of strong personalities. Um, and we went back and forth. What, what I found was there was never any finger pointing, never any blame if there were issues. Um, and we all got together after some you know, tension that you normally have in good decision making, got to a decision and supported that decision. So I think in some respects, having lived through those first very difficult months of the pandemic and having gone through the very complicated mergers, we've been time tested and the partnership has not only you know, thrived, but I think has gotten better as a result. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, we've yeah, we walked into this with a very clear objective of this being a true, you know, 50-50 partnership. Um, you know, we are a firm, you know, who we, we do what we say we're going to do. I think the culture of, 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 S, of FS Investments that Michael has built is the same. You know, I, I do think, Bernard, you have very experienced uh, sort of management team around the table. I think that management team has gotten itself comfortable to the point of, of you know, maximum transparency, right? In some forms, that could be viewed as, as sort of disagreeing. I think we've had good sort of healthy debates. I find that's the best way to get to the right result here. And, and you, know, you know, I'm actually very proud of how the management team has clicked. I think we're, you know, we enjoy being in each other's company even outside of this. You know, there might be a little bit of disagreement. I think Michael needs to give me a couple more strokes on the golf course because <laughs> he's beaten me in the last couple of times. But, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll save that for the rest of the summer. I hear you. I think Michael needs to give a lot of people some extra strokes on the golf course. Um, you know, you, you've both mentioned a little bit about the merger. Um, you know, FSK, KR Capital Corp just recently completed the merger of um, two public BDCs, FSK and FSKR. Please welcome FSKKR Capital Corp to highlight its merger between FSK and FSKR. To honor the occasion, CEO... What do you see as the significance of the transaction? Dan, you want to start with that? Yeah, I'll start. I mean, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, you know, one, I think the market does like simplicity. Right. And, you know, we've worked very hard to bring this down to this one entity. You know, even when we had, you know, FSK and FSKR, you had two publicly traded entities, but they were doing the same investing strategy. Um, you know, while it's it saves us a little bit of work, you know, because we only have to do one public call versus sort of two. I think that's the smaller part of it, just the simplicity of the message, right, the lack of the conversations. Um, but, I, you know, I think it clearly solidifies us in, in you know, one of these market leading positions in the industry. I think we want to be a thought leader. And I think, you know, we're where we're sitting here today, I think we feel quite good about how we're positioned. You know, you can't be ever rest on your laurels and credit, but you know, I think we've liked what we've seen. Size and scale matters. Uh, we have the ability to access the liability um, sort of or access the market for the liability side of our balance sheet. Right. So, you know, I, I I think it's a simplification story, but I think it's also we're, we're positioned quite well today. But Michael, Michael should add to that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I, I've never felt better about the franchise, frankly. You know, and it's been a little bit of a choppy ride to get to where we've gotten. Um, I agree with Dan that size and scale matters. Those of us who follow the market know it's a it's a tight and competitive market, and the team has done a, a terrific job. And I think we'll continue to build upon that. Um, and uh, continue to build upon the success that we've had together. 
Um, so Dan, can you provide some more detail on the underwriting performance of, of KKR credit? Yeah, no, I'm happy to. I mean, to, to, you know, maybe dive in specifically what I'm talking about as it relates to the BDCs. And I think we've, you know, we're, as a management team, have been very focused in providing, you know, good transparency to the market. You know, credit is is one of those businesses where, um, you know, you need to be right 99, you know, times out of 100. We have spent a lot of time uh, ensuring our origination funnel as big as possible. You know, people like to talk about, you know, their hit rate on deals. I think our hit rate on deals is like 2% versus the deals we screened. I think the honest truth is I'm not sure it matters if it's two, three, four, five, right? I think the point of the story is can you make sure that you're seeing enough deals as possible so you can be selective as possible? You know, we're not spending our time figuring out how to stretch on risk to get paid an additional 50 basis points or 100 basis points, right? We're spending our time where we can make a good loan, get paid fairly for that, and get our money back. Um, so I think we've been quite pleased with what we've seen. Um, and like I said, I, I do think the the platform setup, i.e. that size and sale, uh, size and scale point coupled with your origination footprint is actually one of the biggest risk mitigants that exists today, right? Because if you can be selective, you know, no one deal really matters if we do it. We want to be a good lender. We want to be a good sort of partner, uh, but we're not going to stretch on risk. And I think the numbers have shown that over the last, not just three years of, of, of this, but even, you know, for the years prior on the KKR credit platform. So to just change tax a little bit, um, both of you have referenced the pandemic, and I, I just don't think we can have a conversation with managers of credit without asking about the pandemic's impact. Can you talk us through what 2020 was like for FS and KKR and how you were able to navigate that? Sure. Um, you know, obviously, um, the pandemic was somewhat unforeseen. Um, we had spent a lot of time um, stress testing the portfolio. And, and I remember many meetings prior to that. We have a quarterly uh, joint venture operating committee led by Dan and from his team, Brian Gerson, who has private credit here at FS, and which includes some of my senior colleagues and some of Dan's senior colleagues. Um, so I felt like we were prepared as we could be going in. We always talk about the liability side of the of the balance sheet. What what does our debt look like? Because that's where you can get hurt in credit. It's not only the asset side, which are the loans, but you're borrowing um, as well to to fund um, the 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 acquisition of assets. Um, but nevertheless, it was difficult. And the first couple months, March and April, were really really difficult in the credit markets. Um, I think we made some really smart decisions. We did borrow a little bit more money to make sure we had liquidity. And then on top of that, we listed uh, FSKR, which was the other BDC, which has now been been merged into FSK. So there was a lot of work to do. Um, there was a lot of time that we all spent together. Um, we got to know each other very, very well, I'd say, in the second quarter of, of 2020. Um, and what was really, really gratifying looking back at it was I don't ever remember you know, a, a, a sideways remark. There was no finger pointing. There was no blame. Um, there was no real complaining. I think people looked at it very realistically. Um, it's two really good firms that have great resources. 
we listed FSKR, got the merger done into FSK. Um, and while I wouldn't want to go through a pandemic again, I think in some respects we've been battle tested and we passed all the tests. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let, let's hope that was a, a once in a lifetime event, right? Um, I think to Michael's point, we were, we went into it well prepared, but went into it well prepared thinking about the learnings of the financial crisis. Uh, we, you know, have always had very good processes here as it relate, relates to portfolio review. I mean, we, we, we literally review the whole portfolio quarterly over the course of, you know, a week, a quarter. So, you know, I think prep going in was pretty good. I think the one sort of tough thing is no underwriting case was a global pandemic, right? I mean, you had companies who were very good who, you know, went from, you know, pick a number, $60 million of EBITDA to zero uh, overnight. Um, so I think you had to, you know, deal with issues. I think the team came together tremendously, you know, the, the regular way investment professionals on, on the KKR credit side, you know, really, really took it to a next level. You know, as the management team of the BDC, we literally had a daily call at 3 p.m. every day for the better part of, you know, 13, 14 weeks, right, just to make sure we were kind of, because things were moving and, you know, obviously stimulus monies came in. Yeah, I think the the couple of things that were probably interesting is companies who were, uh, you know, let's call it wounded or underperforming going into COVID. It, it had a really bad impact, right? That maybe they sort of had a difficult time recovering from. Um, you know, we did see some of that in the portfolios. You know, a lot of the the companies, you know, again, we like to back that upper end of the middle market. A lot of those companies that were even directly COVID impacted. Um, you know, we saw sponsors or owners and stepping up and supporting those businesses. You know, we wanted to be a constructive lender. You know, we had a very clear view to the market that, you know, this this was nobody's fault, right? This was not bad management. This was not an ERP implementation issue. This was not, you know, uh, whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, we were a good partner. If people wanted to make any material you know, changes to their loan documents, we did ask them to put in more equity dollars to de-risk us. We think that was a fair and constructive, um, you know, ask. I think the the large market participants came together in a very productive way. Um, you know, all the 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 heads of of and CIOs of the BDCs were talking. How do we, you know, kind of help here? How do we do this? I think that was um, important. You know, and and so we had to play some defense, and we played a little bit of offense as well. You know, there's definitely a few situations where. They were very good investment opportunities. Um, there was a couple of situations where we had to invest dollars into companies that were struggling. I'm pretty happy to never go through one of those again. Um, but I think you know a lot of you know, we were all sitting in 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 fairly large risk seats when the financial crisis happened. So there was a lot of there was a playbook to go there. This you just had to adapt for the the situations that were in front of you. So does um, your underwriting case change on a go-forward basis? Or are you going to add global pandemic into that? Yeah, you're not going to add global pandemic. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I think it's it is in in everybody's mind, though, right? Especially where we sort of sit today. I mean, you know, we have conversations about other variants. You have conversations. I mean, there are industries who've actually benefited from COVID pretty meaningfully, right? I mean, I think. You know, half the people I know seem to have bought a dog during COVID. 
right? You look at any veterinary business or sort of pet food business, they've made more money in, 2000, in the last 12 months than they did in the, you know, any year sort of prior. So there's probably some sustainability questions. Um, you know, and, and my, my sense is, you know, COVID just probably accelerated a lot of things that were going to happen anyway, right? Retail was challenged going into COVID. Uh, I think it just probably took out some of those weaker retail players, made others, you know, who, who were able to get to the other side probably a little bit stronger. Um, so it, it, I, I would say, Brent, it's, it's changed probably the downside cases, but we're not going to have the global pandemic case. <laughs> I hear you. You know, you, you already you kind of started this a little bit, but I'd, I'd be curious to hear from both of you about what the private credit markets look like today and the current investing landscape. I'll start, but you know, Dan uh, should definitely I- engage in this. It's a very difficult market. It's it's a very um, a very tight market, and I think you see that across all asset classes right now. There's certainly a lot of liquidity in the markets. There's a kind of a reflation of asset classes going on right now, um, and that has certainly impacted the credit market, which is all the more reason um, to be careful. Um, we're seeing some players make the same mistakes that they've made in the past, um, reaching for risk, underpricing deals. Um, we just have to keep our discipline, and we've done that thus far. Um, Dan mentioned before we have a lot of available capital. You know, we've, you know, we're not sitting on the sidelines, but we're being really, really judicious uh, because this is a very tight market, and sometimes in these tight markets, people do unnatural things, and we're seeing some of that, and we're not going to participate in that. Yeah, I, I think all that's fair. I think we have a quite positive view about, you know, both corporates, consumers, you know, housing, you know, just the general macro tailwind for the next, you know, two plus years are are, are quite, I think, uh, strong. Um, you know, it, it, Wall Street's always a competitive place. So that's nothing new. Um, you know that said, uh, I think the markets have probably taken it to to a, a new level, which um, you know does make it hard to invest dollars. I think that goes back to that origination footprint. That goes back of you know to our ability to be selective. I, I think the one thing that is 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 sort of interesting as it relates to the market is, you know, if if you asked me sort of ten years ago, maybe twelve years ago, you know, was private credit a, a long term business or a trade? Right, you might have gotten into more of the trade conversation. You know, would post financial crisis things have come back sort of differently? I, I think we've actually gone to the point now where, you know, when we talk to corporates, they are just viewing it as another sort of financing option. They can access the syndicated loan market. They can access the high yield bond market. They can come to folks like us on 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 the private credit side, um, and uh, you know, we're providing them a solution. Right? Maybe it's a one-stop shop for someone like us who can write a larger deal. You're providing them certainty of execution. Right? You know, quite frankly, they're going to pay more for it. Um, but sometimes that speed or that certainty or that partnership is more valuable to them, especially if they're in businesses that you know maybe they're going to do a couple of add-ons or, or roll-ups and they, they need sort of that partner. So I think we've, we've found ourselves, you know, just as a regular way, generally accepted, you know, kind of financing product, which is great. And then the one thing which is probably, you know, offsetting, um, you know, certain points, there's, there's, you know, the number of deals that we see in our pipeline has never been more active, 
right? Now, I think that's a little bit of a combination because we've, we've built out our origination team meaningfully. We've obviously got a good capital footprint. You know, but, you know, three-quarters of our business is financing sponsors, right? So other private equity firms who are buying companies. Um, you know, the amount of capital raised for middle market PE is up multiples of the amount of money that's been raised inside BDCs or other private credit sort of footprints, right? So just the necessity of the product is kind of there. Um, there you see, so you put all that together, you got a good macro, you got a competitive market, you know, you go back to that size and scale point kind of matter. Um, you know, I think we're, I think we feel quite good about the risk that we're able to deploy. I think we're a little bit worried about spread compression, right? Things like inflation are on our mind. Yeah, and let me just pick up on that one point for our listeners. It, it is really, really important to note a couple things. What Dan said about rising interest rates, and you know, none of us really can predict that. There's a case that says we're in a long-term deflationary environment because of technology and developments, and things are going to get less expensive and less expensive. And that's frankly what we've seen over the last decade or two. On the other hand, there's certainly a case to be made that money is really easy. Um, if Biden continues to get his policies through Congress, um, our debt will grow. And does that create uh, an, a rising interest rate environment and inflation? So lastly, I would like to hear from both of you about what you feel the future holds for the BDC market. Um, you know, just, I guess, both the market and also for the for your product specifically. I know I'm asking you to pull out your crystal ball a little bit, but <laughs> be curious to just see your outlook. Well, you know, we were the pioneer, um, one of the pioneers in the BDC space, having launched the first non-traded BDC. And then there were a succession of non-traded BDCs that, that followed us. I think you'll continue to see growth in the BDC space. I think, again, as Dan said, uh, this is a real asset class. Um, it's a great way to deliver credit exposure to clients. Yeah, I share that because I think you'll still see some some real growth in this, you know, private credit and 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 to the direct lending market. So I think that's positive. Um, and then I think to to Michael's you know sort of point, you know, we we're one of the largest, you know, one of the the, the two largest in the industry. But you look at a bunch of the other sort of players, you know, there are institutional names attached to them as well on the advisor side. Right. So in addition to us, you know, you have other sort of publicly traded names who are tied to this business, which I think lends a real amount of credibility. Um, you know, I think, you know, there was a bunch of smaller scale players when this thing started historically. So now these are tied to some of the biggest names uh, in the investment advisory space. So I think that's helpful. I think that'll fuel that growth even even further. And then I think it's becoming a little bit more interesting beyond just that regular way retail investor. Right. The institutional folks who you know, might buy you know, banks or other fincos are starting to see you know, that there can be value here to so the investor base. So all that lines up pretty well for, for growth if you're kind of thinking that crystal ball. Um, you know, the, the underlying asset should grow. I think the, the, the entities themselves are more professionally managed, for lack of a better word. And I think the investor interest will continue to expand. Well, I think this has been just a great conversation. We really appreciate both of you taking the time. Um, I hope both of you have a great summer and um, hope we get to speak to you again. Great. Thank you, Bernadette. Thank you, Dan. Good seeing you. Thank you all. Bye.
This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they are available. Thank you.